Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. A tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What is up? It's your host, Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. On today's show, we feature a conversation between the women responsible for two of 2020's best albums, Betty LeVette and Phoebe Bridgers. The two met at the tail end of the before time that was in late February of this year backstage at a Tibet House U.S. benefit at none other than Carnegie Hall. The 74-year-old and 26-year-old developed huge friend crushes immediately. So to celebrate the occasion of Betty's beautiful new LP, Blackbirds, we knew we had to get them together again. To help me intro today's episode, joining from my hometown and the city of wind. It's Josh Modell, executive editor. What is up, Elia? Hey, hey, man. Thanks for coming on. This is a very cool conversation. Absolutely. Josh, when did you first hear of Betty LeVette, man? You know, I'm pretty sure it was about 15 years ago when she kind of came into the hipster orbit via a record on Anti Records called I've Got My Own Hell to Raise, which was produced by Joe Henry, who was sort of a hip singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. And it featured a ton of covers of songs by Sinead O'Connor, Lucinda Williams, Amy Mann, and an excellent version of Sleep to Dream by Fiona Apple. Totally. And, 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 you know, that is one of the like five different careers that she mentions in this phone call. She's been in and out of the public eye for decades. Her first hit came when she was only 16 years old. This was back in 1962. And she has been releasing music ever since. Earlier this year, she was inducted into the Blues Music Hall of Fame. Now, Josh, a lot of her biggest hits have been reinterpretations of songs written by white rock stars. For her new record, which just came out in August, Blackbirds, Betty reimagined songs mostly made famous by black women. And man, this album is incredible. I want to play a track that was originally a Nina Simone joint that Betty has beautifully reinterpreted. I Hold No Grudge. I mean, just so powerful, so gorgeous. Josh, can I admit something to you? Please. Like Phoebe Bridgers, I have a friend crush on Betty LeVette. Aw. She is just the fucking coolest, man. I hope you guys can work together. Hey, we might have to. Now, I'll tell you who will be probably working with Betty LeVette. Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, it's so funny how they kind of work their way toward oh, wouldn't it be funny if we work together to like, okay, let's get this set up as soon as possible. (laughs) Josh, we've done it again, man. We have done it again. We've paired so many artists on this show that then went on to work together and we have done it again. But, you know, Phoebe works with a lot of people. She's, of course, part of two super groups, Better Oblivion Community Center with Connor Oberst, he of Bright Eyes, and Boy Genius with Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker. Yes, but of course, you know, her solo album from this year, Punisher... Her second album, you're going to see it at the top of multiple year-end lists. I guarantee it. It's absolutely fantastic. Sort of fulfills the promise of her first record, Stranger in the Alps, from a couple years ago. She's an incredible, incredible talent. I mean, she is a singer-songwriter's singer-songwriter. And 
I had an emo moment just this morning, Josh, listening to the new Copycat Killer EP she just released. That features four Punisher songs with orchestral arrangements and vocals. Man, the version of Kyoto on that, I mean, clear your schedule for the next 45 minutes so that you can wipe the tears out of your eyes and look normal again before your <laughs> next Zoom call, man. I'll fucking tell you. Uh, I'm excited to hear it. Uh, and you know what else was great that she put out uh, a week or two ago was a cover of the Goo Goo Dolls' Iris, which I think she <laughs> sort of jokingly tweeted, like, as soon as as Trump loses, I'm covering this, you know, mm-hmm. depending on how you frame it, either incredibly cheesy or incredibly great pop song no, from the past no, 20 years. No, we frame it as cheesy here on the Talk we House do. podcast. Okay. So there, Iris is no a cheesy song. about that. Yeah, she recruited Maggie Rogers. They recorded it together. It was available for one day. And I think now it's going to be the number one song in the country because it was downloaded so many times in 24 hours. Oh my God, I just love it. I just love it. From Punisher, let's check out a clip of Save Your Complex. God, man, her music is just transportative. That's a top two or top three record of 2020 for me, for sure. Amen. You know, it's so cool to hear this conversation between different generations of artists. We get a wonderful overview of a career that Betty calls tenuous at best. Yeah, she's so funny. I love that. That sounds like the title of a Smith song. (laughs) Right. They also get pretty deep in songwriting and what profundity in songwriting is. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because Betty is not a songwriter. She is, again, a legendary interpreter of songs, whereas Phoebe is both the producer and a songwriter. And it's cool to get those two perspectives. Definitely. They also get into something that was really interesting to hear because we've heard a lot of pain and anguish on episodes of this show this year from artists who have really been affected adversely by the pandemic. And that's not to say that these two have not. They certainly have. But it's nice to hear a silver lining here, some unexpected benefits of promoting a new album during the pandemic. Yeah, they both have such a funny and great attitude about the whole thing. And uh, they're just so obviously having fun talking to each other. They also cover privilege in the music industry. Betty talks about making Pete Townsend cry, which is awesome. And a great story about little Stevie Wonder. And we get to hear Phoebe answer Betty's amazing question, What is a Princess Nokia? (laughs) I love it. Let's roll it, man. (laughs) Well, this is very much like they did to us in the very beginning. They just put us in a room and closed the door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) I know. So we met at Carnegie Hall. Was that your Mm -hmm. last show? Uh, No, my last show was in uh, top of February, the first of February, actually. And I've actually been home ever since February So everything that I've done since then has been done out of my husband's office, which is where I am right now. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I kind of expanded my bubble. I'm right now sitting where my band lives um, Uh because I was totally by myself for lockdown, which was um, hard. But yeah, that Carnegie Hall show is the last time I played for people, which is pretty wild. Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but, But you've been doing some virtual shows, right? Yeah, totally. With your band? Yeah, with the band, I've tried to, again, we've done some where, like we did one at the Troubadour that where everybody got tested before. It was like a virtual festival called Save Our Stages so people could donate mm-hmm. to save venues. Yeah. What kind of virtual stuff have you done? I did one for the Jazz Foundation, New York Jazz Foundation. Sweet. And uh, one for the Blues Foundation. When I came home in February, 
I don't know what was supposed to happen the months between then and May, but May, the new CD was to come out. I was to be inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame and I was to do the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. And <laughs> instead I got a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Because they decided to go on and release the, the new CD, my band and I have done, uh, thank goodness to my wonderful music director, Brett Lucas, he's helped me put some videos together of us doing the things as we would maybe have done them on a promotion tour since we couldn't promote. So we did those few little things and they streamed them. And that kind of at least lets you know I was halfway alive. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, well, I actually like promoting stuff right now because otherwise I feel like I would have no job. I don't know if you feel the same way, but yeah, it was going to be an awesome year. Oh, absolutely. I meant the interviews, everything. You know, we exist by virtue of everyone else. (laughs) So, so, you know, doing the interviews and people calling and asking to speak with me and do an interview and me doing the uh videos and them streaming them, that has really, really been life. Yeah, totally. And I got to do a whole European press tour from the comfort of my house, and those usually drive me crazy, so. I did too. I Well, this <laughs> has been kind of a world press tour. I've been doing uh, interviews with everybody. Well, that's good, except, well, when we get to some country and I don't know what they're saying, and they don't oh, know totally. what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Do you ever just make up the question that somebody asked you because you've asked too many times for them to repeat it. So you're just, you just oh, pick out, I'll, I'll, I'll pick out like one or two key words and I'll just make up a question I that may involve those words. I love it. Scotland, Scotland always. <laughs> so do you have something out right now? Are you recording or? Yeah, I put something out in June. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I feel like, what you said, we exist at the behest of other yeah. people. Um, but yeah, it feels like I don't exist. I turn off my right, phone. Right. <laughs> I that turn is off so my phone. Pitiful. Isn't that beautiful? It's it's so pitiful. That we don't exist until the lights come on and everybody applauds. <laughs> totally. Well, also, I I feel like my social life is built so heavily into music where I hire all Me my too. friends. That I is tour my with my friends. Exactly. So now that is my entertainment. Yeah. So I don't even know how to exist at home, honestly. (laughs) When did you finish Blackbirds? Oh my God. Before it got uh, cold last year, I guess in September. Yeah. I finished my record in like October. (laughs) It was supposed to come out in May and um, they went on with it. I was very surprised. But then when so many other people started to, I said, well, I guess we can't just freeze everything we can do what we can do i mean and so much stuff is streaming now until it this whole thing seemed more i believe is going to get more natural don't you yeah i do i also think the records that have come out during this time have such a special place in my heart because it's it's in such a vacuum and we don't have anything to do except for listen and watch stuff Uh um so yeah i think it's a cool opportunity to kind of solidify ourselves in a time and place for people. Yeah. How long have you have you been in the business, uh, Phoebe? Well, I only have two solo records, but I've made records with some of my friends. Like I have a band with my friend Connor and I have a band with my friend Lucy and Julian. So I've been, you know, recording music for a long time, but I think I only really got good when I was like 
20 and I'm 26. So it really hasn't been that long. You got good when you were 20? Yeah, yeah, I think. Gosh, why did it take me till I was 40? <laughs> Do you really believe that? There's no oh, way. I know it for a fact. I know it for a fact. I mean, I thought I was good at 16 when, when the first one came out. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, well, that was until a few people slapped me across my ass a few times, running, <laughs> trying to run up on the stage behind me. I think Big Maybell did the biggest do to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you have been good the whole time. <laughs> it was a long time, I feel, before I learned how to sing and before it became me as opposed to something I do. It right. became totally me. This is me. This isn't, this is no longer what I do. This is me. Totally. And it took a very long time for me to get to that point because as long as it was what I do, I was constantly working on it. And now right. I don't work on it at all since it's me. I just get up and do it. Yeah, that's, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I think when I first started writing songs, I think I was trying to sound like other people mm -hmm. too. Like I just was kind of a copycat for a long time. And then I don't think that changed. I think I just found more things to copy. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that it was it was too many things to discern it and, you know, connect it to like my influences. Well, I think we all do that. All you can do when you're young, unless that it people... Uh, take the exclusivity out of that word genius, but it was <laughs> invented for a reason. And there are some people who have their own mind and soul and body at a very young age or whenever they discover it. But that's not it for everybody. Mostly we all copy totally. what we've heard. Yeah. You know, until There's we... There's literally no way I'm a genius. I feel, I feel <laughs> like I... I I was trying to be... Even, even interpersonally, I think I was trying to be somebody for a long time um, mm -hmm. without really relaxing. And do you feel like you keep getting better? Like, do you feel like every new record that you make is is your new favorite record? Oh, no, not at all now. I, I, I know how I want them to be. I mm -hmm. am not doing a lot of discovering. I pretty much have everything about the way I want it. And as opposed to planning how I'm going to sing something, it's just when I hear it, I just sing it the way it hits me. Right. However it hits me, that's the way I do it. Here again, because that is me. It took me a long time to be comfortable with me. I wanted it to be something else or something bigger or something higher or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very strange in my recording. Well, for instance, I don't listen to playbacks unless I'm looking for something that I think I may have done wrong. Oh, wow. Other than that, I pretty much know how I want to do it. So... There's no need in wasting time doing playbacks. I do all my albums in five to six days. Man, that's so cool. Do you comp your vocals or do you have someone comp your vocals or do you do like one pass? Um, I rehearse them with, uh, with, the, with either my music director or, or keyboard player here in New Jersey because all my musicians are in Detroit. And I, you know, try to see how if, if decisions I've made in my head are good, I'll put those down. Well, I'll give the, uh, the the form of the way I want to sing it. And then we give that to the producer and he can see how I feel about it. It's I do that because I want them to immediately, because I do 
a lot of reinterpretations of songs. I want them to get that original thing out of their head. So I want everybody to hear me do it as soon as possible so they can stop thinking the other way. Right, totally. So that they're they're learning the new version and not mm-hmm. even the original. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. They say everybody either wants to sing or play piano. I guess I would like to play piano, but I'd like to be able to write. But I want to write something so profound, like blowing in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want it to be just, everybody just says, wow, have you ever heard a song like this? <laughs> Totally. But I'm not even a profound speaker, so I can never be a profound writer. No, see, I think, I don't know, at least the music that I love, what's so profound about it is how simple and universal it is sometimes. Like even Blowing in the Wind, like it's just one analogy for the whole song. Yes. It's a simple thought. And I don't think Bob was sitting around being like, I can't, I, I need to say something profound. So... I think that's well, kind of I beautiful. That, I've, I've always thought that the, the way you do the things you do by the by the Temptations written by Smokey Robinson is one of the most clever songs and mm-hmm. simple. So you've got a smile so bright you could have been a candle. I would never have thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I would have thought of it, but I would never have thought of it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think those are the best lines. So I, when I say profound, you know, I want them, you know, it doesn't have to be like, as profound as that made it sound, but I can't even make clever little things come together in song. I can maybe in conversation. And writers keep telling me, well, why don't you just write them down when you say them in conversation? I said, my God, just walk around with a tablet all the time, writing down (laughs) what you said. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that is, that is what I do. (laughs) But Stevie, whom I've known since he was 11, when uh, the little portable tape recorders came about, he carried one with him continuously and wrote and recorded everything you said, everything he said, everything everybody said. And I mean, of course, you see what kind of writer he is. That's so cool. But I, I, I that's great. I'm so glad you do that because I need songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. I think that, Sometimes I need an editor, like like you said, someone says, why don't you write that down? Or, you know, you, you need to be talking to someone to uh, kind of have profound ideas. And, and, and that's why I am surrounded by my friends who I'm like, is this good? And they, they're like, yeah, totally. Or why don't you write that into a song? I feel like those are my favorite lines, the ones that I don't even know are lyrics. I love it. Yeah, it's cool. So your group of friends, have, how long they've been your friends forever? Yeah, I went to like an arts high school in downtown LA. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have friends from that. But my band, I kind of met all around the same time when I was like 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. And we just played like in a a really gnarly rehearsal space (laughs) every day for like You didn't go to Hollywood High, did you? I didn't go to Hollywood High, but I drive by it a lot. Well, I lived right around the corner from it. I always say I lived right around the corner from it. Actually, oh, I cool. starved right around the corner from it. Oh, no. <laughs> for, for, for a couple of years. And I would have to go from my apartment past it to go straight down Sunset to Atlantic. I was sort of with them at the time. Right. And you grew up in Michigan, right? Did you go to New York or L.A. first? I went to New York first. When I'm talking to young people, I always tell them, don't go to New York or L.A. unless you've been asked. 
<laughs> unless somebody sends you a round trip ticket or unless they say, here's a notion, but just going and trying to figure things out. Totally. I, you know, it works for some people. It don't work for others. It didn't work for me about five times. And then yeah. you know, each, each time I learned something else. But the first time I went, I was just turning 17. I was still not answering some time to Betty Lovett because I wasn't used to being her. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, that was all the things that I had read in magazines about New York. I always knew that was where I wanted to be. And so that was the first place that I lit out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. But your band is in Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I haven't been able to have a band all the time. I don't know how much you know about my career, but it's been tenuous at best. So <laughs> in this last career here, this fifth career, it has been doing pretty well. And I've had pretty much the same band for this whole career. But since Motown left Detroit, the musicians in the city proper suffered so badly. I only hire musicians from Detroit. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I have a lot of friends from there. It's a super cool place. This show is brought to you by Patreon, who ask, Creators, are you tired of being paid in clicks and likes? Social media and streaming platforms help people find your work. But getting you paid is another story. With Patreon, you can stop rolling the dice of ad revenue and per-stream payouts and grow your creative career through the direct support of the people who care the most, your fans. Since Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers, you'll skip the middleman and develop a sustainable income source by offering a recurring membership to your fans. In turn, they'll get access to exclusive community, premium content, and the chance to become active participants in the work they love. The creative system is broken. So if you're a podcaster, video maker, musician, writer, illustrator, a creative person of any kind, sign up on patreon.com now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And change the way your creativity is valued by building the steady income stream you deserve. (laughs) I love playing Detroit. Where do you work when you're there? I'm going to forget all the club names, but there's a place called, is it Music Box? Music Box in Detroit. Uh-huh. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> when did you live in L.A.? Uh, the first time I went was about 69, and I didn't have the wherewithal to stay any longer than six months that time, and they had mm-hmm. to send for me to go back to Detroit. All roads led back to Detroit. And then I went back again in 72 and stayed about three years. Yes, stayed two times. But New York was, I just wouldn't accept no for an answer from New York. I lived in New York five times. Totally. (laughs) And they just kept saying, go home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I learned 75% of what I know about anything in New York City. Yeah, I've always wanted to live there. I've, I've never lived anywhere other than L.A. Of course, I've spent, you know, a big chunk of my life on tour, so... I barely even feel like I live here, but but I would love to live in New York at some point. I'd never live in either place ever again. If I had all the money in the world, I'd never live in either L.A. or New York. It's just it's kind of like New Orleans. You don't you don't see or feel the segregation in New Orleans until you live there. And uh, living and dying in both New York and L.A., I know the underside of it. 
I don't think I'll ever get over that part of it. So that's why I say even if I had a lot of money, which I could distract myself with by one of those beautiful homes or apartments in New York or whatever, but I wouldn't, if I had that kind of money, I would want to spend it there. Totally. Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, who I think the world gets kind of handed to, especially like, I think because I grew up in LA, I am very lucky to kind of be protected from an underbelly of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is interesting in music how many like white boys get to just, you know, be handed a record deal because (laughs) their parents are loaded and they're 16 and, and they, you know, are really, really good at guitar because they got guitar lessons really early. I had read somewhere that you said you weren't necessarily a rock music fan, but that you liked either the Beatles or John Lennon. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. I mean, classic rock, I think, is kind of an all-encompassing word that I, you know, like when I turn on the radio and hear classic rock, sometimes I'm like, how is this even classic rock? Like, I think... Name me a classic rock person. Um... Like Eric Clapton. Okay. I've never been I've never been a huge Eric Clapton fan, but I love uh, the band. Okay. I think that genre is like I don't think there's one genre I could say I just love unequivocally. You know, I think I like tons of different types of music, but I mm-hmm. I'm very opinionated. I think it's kind of annoying to talk to me about music because I get so like <laughs> I'll like argue with anybody about anything. <laughs> I think the Beatles are pretty undeniable, you know, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that that's funny. I, um, I consider myself a pure rhythm and blues singer. And for all intent and purposes, just what you were saying earlier about white boys in, in various places getting record deals when nobody else get one, I feel that way about what I feel classic rock did totally. to rhythm and blues. You know, when you can have all the singers in a classic rock legendary band say their favorite group is The Temptations, why did they all that broke? Right, totally. You know, so I, it's hard. Oh, you should hear the arguments that my husband and I have because he grew up in that era. He was a classic rock group fan, you know, many of the rock groups. And then he'll tell me, well, when he first started telling me, he was telling me, to maybe make me feel a little more endeared to them. Well, you know, their favorite singer is, and it would be somebody he knows I love. <laughs> I right. said, nah, they ain't going to do it. Because <laughs> I was with them broke when they died broke. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, it's just who is benefiting from it. You know, like, I, do I believe that Jack White is a genuine rock fan and a music fan and and puts credit where credit is due? Absolutely, sure. But- he is benefiting disproportionately and a lot of people that he is a fan of died broke, like he said. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't think that that's his fault. You know what I mean? I think that... Oh, right. That, that's when I start to feel funny. I, I, these people didn't say, hey, let's jump on Motown or Betty LeVette or whatever and kill their career. They, and if you come and say, here, I'm going to give you a billion dollars, what do you say? No. Mm-hmm. I want to totally. save like music, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's I feel really, really strange. I probably do not go into it even as much as I'm going into it with you, with anyone other than my husband. Right. But I think that people do have a responsibility to kind of lift people up who helped them. And I think that, you know, it's a constant balance between like 
well, if I get to a position of power, who do I bring along with me? You know, Mm -hmm. and it's still happening. Like Ariana Grande's last record has a song that is a direct rip from Princess Nokia and, you know, Ariana Grande is white. And it's like, it's such a direct... Okay, what is Princess Nokia? She's this rapper. um, And, you know, she has totally moderate success. um, Mm -hmm. And I think she's rad and I love her records. Mm -hmm. But then Ariana Grande can turn around, kind of steal it and have zero repercussions whatsoever because she's super, super famous. Mm. I I see that happening so much. And mm-hmm. and I don't really know what the answer is other than, <laughs> like, it's just crazy that someone can make a type of music and somebody turns around and, and does the exact same thing and makes tons of money. Wow. I didn't know that it was being done on top of each other, I met, you know, somebody who's existing in the same space and time oh, anymore. Totally. totally. No, I feel like it, it happens all the time. I feel like record companies, especially if, you know, if someone's signed to an indie label and they make records in their bedroom uh, and they want to not sign to a record company, I feel like record companies turn around and say, can anybody do that? <laughs> you know, mm. can, we, can we sign someone else that sounds like that? Um my friend Connor, who's in a band called Bright Eyes, there's this other band called uh, An Angle, right? This is so An like, Angle? An Angle. The band name's really bad. And the music's bad, but it was such a direct <laughs> rip of Bright Eyes. And Bright Eyes, you know, was kind of famously put out their own records. And, and it was just like friends running a label. But An Angle almost got a major label deal. Or I think they did get a major label deal. And it, it went very badly. But still, I think that the point stands where people try to kind of monetize something and put it in their own package, which is so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's obviously super complex. What do you call yourself if you had to categorize yourself? I think I'm a singer-songwriter, you know, as much as, much as that basically... What kind of, of singer-songwriter? I mean, I don't know. I grew up listening to a lot of like... Jackson Brown or Nina Simone. And and I think that I kind of fall in line with, you know, I write the song first mm-hmm. and then I say, what kind of package should this go in that's the best for it? Um, and usually I make pretty mellow records. Like I think, <laughs> I think that I want the vocal to be loud and I want the arrangement to be behind it. So it's a lot of guitar, a lot of piano, I love singing with strings, but it's mostly just about the songs. I love producing and I love production, but I think mm-hmm. that it's just kind of like whatever serves the song. So that's why I say singer-songwriter, because I'm like, it's a little bit folk, but then I, I use synths a lot. One of my favorite instruments, weirdly, is is the iPad. My friend Ethan Gruska, who produces my music, he will like sample a guitar and then put it through this weird iPad app, and I love the way it sounds. <laughs> Uh, it's so it's so cheap and rad. Do you think you could produce me? Uh, totally. <laughs> you I would do? love that. I would. I mean, very intimidating, but also I I love producing. It's like my favorite thing. That's not. Do you think you could produce me? <laughs> um. I mean, I would love to. Do you think, I think the love of it would take you through it? <laughs> totally. I think that the part of producing that is the scariest to me is making sure that whoever I'm producing is happy. So I feel like I, yes, (laughs) I feel like I could and I would be passionate about it, but I would want to make you happy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, then there, that, but that's a great deal of the answer. Do you think that what makes you happy would make me happy? Yes, hopefully. Um, do you work? <laughs> I know that you worked with Joe Henry. Did you do that in Pasadena? Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love all the production on your records. I feel like I'm intimidated, uh, but oh. but I absolutely, I think that there's something so sparse about them that I love. And also I, I feel um, <laughs> intimidated by it because like you said, you practice with a band and I'm such a, I lean so heavily on editing and, and I do a lot of deleting, but I love the idea of, of <laughs> a, a record that's just a band playing with a singer. Well, see that that's called making a record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. And I, I, I'm not a record. So I, I try not to require all that. Mm-hmm. And I don't like a lot of technology used because I am not a record. <laughs> right. Do you record live with the band? Like, do you need a band playing with you when you sing? Yeah. That's so cool. No, I don't need it, but I want everything to sound exactly like me. Yeah. And that is why I record uh, with the band. When I was doing, um, I don't know if you've heard my album of uh, interpretations of British rock songs. Oh, yes. (laughs) This is like a whole room full of guys who about my husband's age who grew up with these guys and these songs. And for me to just walk in the studio and have them play them the way they hear them in their head, I'm sure they heard some new ideas over the years, but they had no idea that I was going to do them the way I did them. Mm-hmm. And that's why I I just hear things, as I said, the thing that makes me so comfortable is because I don't even hear anybody else anymore singing whatever it is I'm singing. All I hear is me. Right. And so everybody else has to be on that page as well. So I try to be as close with the musicians as I possibly can, but all the tracks must be laid down with me singing them, whether I'm in good voice, bad voice, whatever. I just want you to know how I feel about the tune because I want you to feel exactly like that. Right. Have you ever butt heads with anybody really hard on on that exact idea? Like has anybody with kind of like a bullheaded <laughs> uh, way of doing things or has has a producer ever kind of made you feel like there wasn't space for that kind of interpretation? And they were like, no, this is the way it has to be. No, never the uh, interpretation of it. I had one producer to try and force me to sing different to Mm -hmm. a track that was exactly like what I was interpreting. And because I liked the tune, it kept pulling me into the way the other artists sung the tune because it was so recognizable. I did uh, heard it through the grapevine Marvin Gaye's rendition, whom I adore. And the producer and the musicians were so enamored of the whole Motown thing. And I was going to be, this was right after Diane left Motown. And I this was going to be my first album on Motown, no less, after coming up in Detroit with them. <laughs> <laughs> and to sing, to try and sing differently to these tracks that I had sung along with so many times, that was probably the most difficult thing I've ever tried to do and most uncomfortable thing. The only one of those tunes in the 12 album deal that I do still is the only one that was completely different. It sounded like something from Memphis or somewhere. And it uh, certainly sounded far from a Motown record. But that's the only one of the songs that I do. I just uh, 
it has to be arranged and done for me. Right. No matter how you know it, you have to do it, play it the way I'm singing it. If it doesn't go to that tempo and I'm singing it slower, you have to play it slower. Totally. And before that, I did whatever the producers told me. (laughs) That was what I thought I was supposed to do. (laughs) Totally. I've done my fair share of that, definitely. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love covering songs. It's like one of my favorite things to do is to interpret things. But the hardest thing for me, you know, and your Bob Dylan covers are so beautiful because you know, his performances are very song forward and, <laughs> and there's a lot of room for interpretation, but the, but the hardest thing to do is I feel like cover a song that people are so connected to that version of it, you know, like a perfect oh, recording. that is so fun to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is so fun to me. Yeah. And especially with the writers, the writers that I've had a chance to, See, when I saw Pete Townsend cried to my version of Love, Rain, or Me, <laughs> or had the child that wrote Nights in White Satin write such a be- the beautiful thing that he wrote about me, saying he never knew what the song was until he heard me sing it. That is so fun to me. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, that's great. That is way, way, way fun. <laughs> yeah. You have to get old to really know how to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's so intimidating. I love a good dated cover too, like like songs from the 80s or something that are pretty like locked in time and then you can, mm-hmm. you know, change and interpret them into kind of being this timeless cover. That's one of my favorite things, definitely. <laughs> I love it. I would love to hear these songs you would produce on me. You'd probably make me sound like a real girl. <laughs> oh my gosh, let's do it. Go to Detroit. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> uh, so what's coming up for you next? Are they are they booking you? You know, <laughs> I feel like I've booked like five tours that have been canceled. Yeah, that's what they've done with me. Totally. I don't even get my hopes up anymore. I, I go through I go to one meeting about booking a tour and I'm like, yep, <laughs> sounds good. Yep. Right. All right. Totally. Let's have another one. <laughs> totally. Right. All right. Well, that's exactly I'll see you again in six months. Yeah. I know that we're going to come through this. We've certainly come through through great things before. Are you the only female in your aggregation? Like in my band? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a, a bassist who looks exactly like me, who is a woman also named Emily. Uh-huh. Um, she's super badass. But I do have, you know, a lot of women work at my label, and I also, I have a band that's only women. Or is the label yours, Phoebe? The label that you're on? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, I, really? I run a label, too, uh, called Saddest Factory. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like a subsidiary of Dead Oceans, which is the label that signed me initially. Mm-hmm. And that's been super fun. So fun. I love it. I love it. See, you, you want to be in the record business. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I basically just want to sing. I will do any part of it that I've learned to do, but I don't like to count. I have four musicians and I really don't like to hold them accountable, which is why one of them is a music director. So I feel so completely different now than, than I did when I was your age. It now is, as I said, who I am. I feel like it just, it would just go on anyway. 
you know, so a whole bunch of busyness for me at this point, I do not want to do. But that I admire you so much for, for not for doing it, but for being able to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely required a lot more time on my phone, which is exhausting, and I hate it. But <laughs> but I do like being involved in kind of other people's projects. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel so not stressed all the time, but I feel like the huge weight of responsibility to make everything perfect in my own music that mm-hmm. when I get to kind of be involved in other people's stuff, it, the pressure isn't on as much and it's just fun. So yeah, it's kind of nice to take a back seat. That's what, It's also why I like producing. Well, I had all this pressure on me trying to stay alive to 75. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I've done that. I feel free. <laughs> totally. And that's that's absolutely it. But I'm, I am just terribly proud of you because I just, I, well, Maybe I could eventually learn to, if I sat still long enough, write a song or two. And I have written a song or two, but that's about it, a song or two. But I, uh, all the being, doing all of it, uh, you know, running a record company, the having other artists, and I, I just, I really couldn't do that. I, I admire you, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you very much. I admire you and that you're so young and doing it. <laughs> that's one, and that you're a woman. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have chosen just the most, as far as I'm concerned, the most awful business in the world to be in. Yes. But it true. can be fun. It's so fun. <laughs> it can be so absolute fun. And there is absolutely nothing like walking upon a stage and commanding the entire room. Totally. I know. I, I can't wait. It's it's a, a very powerful feeling. And it's uh, it's a very comforting feeling when you hear music and we really, I think we have probably the best jobs in the world. It's just that so many things can go awry in it. Totally. And it doesn't always have to work out like your little sweet life has worked. It could take 59 years in mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, they're kind of like no guarantees and, and you just have to really right? love it, like everybody says, because it can be brutal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you start out loving it. I think that after a while, as I became more proficient at it, Mm-hmm. It didn't make sense for me to quit. I don't. There's nothing else that I could get this proficient at <laughs> totally. in the short time. So it it um, I don't know. I the, maybe the love does not wane for everyone, but I do know I used to get up at eleven o'clock in the morning and rehearse with my band until eleven o'clock at night. And now they have to put out warrants for my arrest to get me to come to rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm late to everything. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Totally. Oh, <laughs> we're going to get together again on this on this production. But right, show me, send me a song that you think you think I could sing or that you think you'd like to hear me sing. Ooh, I love this challenge. Yes. I'd like to see what the words say, because you, you young people have these ethereal words and they just go off. And, and while they are ethereal, they still go off into space. <laughs> and it's hard for me to sing anything. And I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure. Well, I'll I'll take that challenge. <laughs> I love that. Well, baby, it's been great talking to you. And great talking I to you. Yeah, I said I can't wait to see you and see how all this looks on you because everything that you do that's new shows up on your personality. <laughs> so I can't wait to see you and, and see this record company owner, producer, manager, singer, songwriter person. <laughs> well, yeah, can't wait to see you. I'm just somebody's grandmother who sings. 
I love that. Betty Levette, Phoebe Bridgers, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And Josh, we have done it again. Talkhouse guests collaborating. Cannot wait to hear this joint, man. You're going to need a personal thank you in the liner notes of the Phoebe Bridgers produced and written <laughs> Betty Levette record. I'll take it. Coming in late 2021, hopefully. There we go, baby. There we go. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's conversation, which you must have if you're still here, definitely check out Phoebe's collaborators in conversation here on the show. There's Connor Oberst talking with The National's Matt Berninger. And also her boy genius bandmates, Lucy Dacus, who is in conversation with Dave Depper of Death Cab, and Julian Baker in conversation with Katie Harkin. All great episodes. On the TalkHouse website, we also featured a conversation recently between Lucy Dacus and Fen Lilly. Check that out too. And I have to say, our producer Mark and I do a series on Sonos Radio called Radio Hour. And the Phoebe Bridgers Radio Hour is a must listen. We have a great conversation and then she spins a killer set under the moniker Phoebe Bridgers, DJ Phoebe Bridgers. (laughs) Right here on the Talk House, we have two conversations with Jeff Tweedy dropping soon. One is with Ron Swanson, AKA Duke Silver, AKA Nick Offerman. The other with Nora Jones. We also just recorded a fantastic conversation between Bootsy Collins and Mixmaster Mike that's all coming in the next weeks here on the show. TalkHouse can be found on all your favorite social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at TalkHouse. Our researcher for this episode was Reese Higgins. Shouts. Betty Levette's side of the conversation was engineered by Kevin Kiley. Her hubby. Is that right? Yep. Now we know. Phoebe's side was recorded by Marshall Vohr. Thanks, Marshall. You and I recorded ourselves at home. Hashtag stay home studios. And the whole shebang was produced, of course, as always, by Mark Yoshizumi. He's a great producer of shebangs. The Talkhouse podcast theme song was composed and performed by The Range. Have a happy turkey day. Oh, yeah, there's turkey. I'm doing tofu. I'm doing tofu, baby. We're just doing sides. But whatever you do, stay home. Don't spread the vid. Till next week, I'm Elia Einhorn. I'm Josh Modell. Peace. And, and Tofurky. Oh, oh, look at us. Knew it. <laughs>